was St. Augustine, who I must quote at the very beginning as I give you a brief introduction here on the book of Revelation, particularly chapter 20 in our discussion this morning. It was St. Augustine who once wrote this, and it's important for us to remember, I think, continually drawing it to somewhat challenging uh, passages of Scripture. Augustine says, In essentials, unity. In essentials, this is a doctrinal context. In the essentials of our faith that we have gathered to celebrate, to sing of, to, re- to recite one with another. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. So there is a degree of doctrine as you study the Word of God and as you come to hear of Christ and you hear of who He really is and what He has done. And you recognize within the doctrine of Scripture, within the various teachings of Scripture, there arises a primary set of teachings. And within the rise of primary, you see, therefore, a role for secondary teachings within Scripture. And you see the role of the conscience in forming and growing and transforming one into recognizing that which is essential and that which is non-essential. And then there's a corresponding heart of the Christian toward one another in these categories of essential and non-essential. There is a spirit of interaction that goes along with that. This is how we find the great preservation of John 17, the unity of the church, and the way we treat one another. Many of us get it wrong. We treat doctrine as there are no e. Essentials. And therefore we have unity. Praise the Lord. Well, we have unity in nothing. We've thrown away instruction. When we've thrown away him, there is no unity. That is not unity. True unity comes in the spirit of a right understanding of doctrine and discerning that which is essential and non-essential. And essentials have unity. Non-essentials have charity. Or excuse me, liberty. And in Augustine's final comment, in all things, have charity, have love. And so it is, even when we disagree on essentials, and we can all think of ministers, ministries, other things that we have studied and learned and talked, and friends that we share big fences with. We're not to be, by grace, lobbing stones over the fence, seeking to crush our enemy. But it is in a sense of charity that is offered in the love of Christ. Yet, the wall has been constructed. And the wall must remain. But yet, charity must be displayed. Even if we reach through the fence, shake hands. The fence remains, but we reach through. In applying this sense of essentials, non-essentials, and in all things, liberty. I come to apply this as Pastor Mark Dever. Some of you perhaps have heard of him. He is a pastor in the Washington, D.C. area. And he has spoken this way to his church. I thought what I read of him in an article entitled, Millennial Views and Church Unity. Right? That implies that there is a call for unity regarding this issue of millennials. So he took this thought of Augustine, as I read for you, and he applied it to this 
somewhat thorny issue of the role of the thousand years and our varying views on that. Let me read at length his comment to his church. I thought, again, it highly appropriate, and I would like to read it for you. I think he strikes at the heart of our approach that we want to have. Regarding millennial views and church unity, he says, quote, I think that millennial views, that is, the thousand years, need not be among us those doctrines that divide us. So he's putting it into a category of a non-essential that we can have some liberty with. I am suggesting to you that what you believe, and I would stand behind this, about the millennium or the thousand years that we just read of in Revelation 20, how you interpret these thousand years is not something that is necessary for us to agree upon in order to have congregational life together. So it is as I walk through this. Well, I'll get there. Lord Jesus prayed as he strikes John 17, 21, that we Christians might be one. Of course, all true Christians are one and that we have his spirit through receiving Christ as our Savior, sharing one hope in the gospel, and we share his spirit. And we desire, therefore, in sharing the spirit to live out the unity of spirit, to testify to our unity we have in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that unity is supposed to be evident as a testimony to the world around us. Therefore, I conclude, we should not end our cooperation with other ministries or other Christians within our congregation or separate from a congregation over something like a millennial view. But we ought to separate only with the greatest of care, lest we rip the body of Christ with the unity that he has given us and commanded us to maintain. For us to conclude as a congregation that we must agree upon a certain view of alcohol or a certain view of schooling if your child goes to a public school or if they're homeschooled or if they're in private school, for us to feel that we must agree upon these or a certain view of meat offered to idols just like the church of the first century or a certain shared view in the millennium and the role of a thousand years. In order for us to agree upon that, to have fellowship together, is, I think, not only unnecessary for the body of Christ, but it is, therefore, both unwarranted and condemned by Scripture. I trust that each of us agree, whether we put homeschooling and the millennium on the same page, we would all agree that it is, in a sense, non-essential. And that we can have congregational life together as we submit to the Word of God together. Even if our exact interpretation isn't the same. But lest now I have lost you and you think, wow, he's been laboring very hard for a year and a half, to establish that there is a purpose behind taking a position. And this morning he just threw it under the bus and said, we need not take position. Don't get me wrong on that. I am nonetheless 
committed to having a position on the thousand years. And I am still, even though I see it as non-essential, I will, for the next few moments, seek to definitely persuade regarding the nature of the thousand years. But again, back to Augustine, even in the role of persuasion, that it would be a persuasion that is one that is honest. I think in the issue of millenniums or or the thousand years, some of you know this discussion better than others, and I'll get past this brief introduction. But some of us on this issue of a thousand years refuse to acknowledge hard places that we run into. Maybe you have a favorite listener on the radio or iPod or wherever it is, podcast. And, and maybe those stronger personalities say, this is exactly the view of the millennium. This is how the thousand years is to work out, and this is exactly when and how it is going down. Be careful who you listen to. Everyone is indeed warned. I think we can all take a deep breath from something like that and say, there are problems that exist within any one given interpretation on this thorny topic. And if you have any sense of my integrity, please believe that. There are, believe it or not, challenges that remain on any given view of the role and purpose of the thousand years of Revelation 20. So anyone who then approaches and says, no, there isn't, we automatically know, okay, need not listen any further. Let's take an approach that recognizes in humility challenges. Yet there is purpose in working and mining out this truth and applying it to our lives. So we have purpose, yet we have problems. And acknowledging both with a spirit of humility establishes our essential unity. It doesn't take what is non-essential and elevate it to essential and divide. This is how we ought to go forward with the spirit of humility. I will admit to you, this might mean nothing to you. You've probably caught on by now to some of you. I do stand by a position on an end time scheme. There are various labels out there for end times. I stand in a position of amillennialism. Many of you have been probably recognizing that along the way. This is not a time for a classroom discussion on the various millennial views. I hope to indeed persuade from Scripture on exactly what that means for the thousand years. When is it? Where is it? What is its nature? What is its purpose and its place? But I do so. I hope, in a spirit of humility, there are some passages that you might be thinking of in your mind right now. I wonder if you thought about this one. Chances are I have. Doesn't mean I have a solution. But so too to my brothers who hold to maybe a pre-millennialism or a post-millennialism. And if these mean nothing to you, let them go. They don't really to me either. Good. We're together in our essentials. And so it is just trust. We all have our crosses to bear in the millennial discussion. Now that I've thrown myself under the bus, I will seek to persuade you. Join me under the bus. Into a proper, I hope, handling of the thousand years 
in the book of Revelation. Look with me, therefore, in the first three verses. This will be our second week on verses 1 through 3. Uh, and then we will go next week into 4 through 6. But I wanted to continue on this role of the purpose and place of the thousand years we established last week. If I could read the text for you, give you a brief overview, and then we'll jump right into this morning's sermon. Verse 1, then I saw, as Bill had already read 1 through 6, I'll just simply do 1 through 3 uh, for my own sake. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain, and he seized the dragon... That ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, unless you didn't remember, he was the dragon in Revelation 12, and you've seen him as that ancient serpent in 12 also, and then you've seen him the devil and of Satan also. So we know that he is Satan, and he was bound for a thousand years. And at this binding for a thousand years, he threw him into the pit, shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years is ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. If I could give you a brief summary, and then as I said, we'll jump right into our categories this morning. But Revelation 20, 1 through 3, this is how I would submit to you an overview. Describes in symbolic form. Describes in symbolic form, the victory of Christ. His earthly ministry was a decisive defeat for Satan and Satan's dominion upon the earth. His earthly ministry, this is Christ, in symbolic form being shown to us in Revelation 21-3, through that His earthly ministry was a decisive defeat for Satan. And this is your victory. Furthermore, Christ's accomplishment of resurrection set in motion the continued proclamation of Satan's defeat through the missionary institution called the church. This is what you've just heard read for you from Revelation 21 through 3. In symbolic form, the victory of Christ was just expressed. His earthly ministry was a decisive defeat for Satan and his dominion upon the earth. Furthermore, Christ's accomplishment of resurrection set in motion the continued proclamation of Satan's defeat through the missionary institution of the church. So it is I come to you this morning then as we join in our sermon time together to declare to you that Christ has conquered over Satan. continued work of the missionary institution known as the church is our duty to proclaim freedom to the captives. Satan has been defeated. O death, where is thy sting? Jesus has been raised. Satan is bound. I hope to now, you're obviously looking at me like, okay, I agree with some of that. 
how do we know that the, the, the symbolism of one through three is really going in time back to the work of Christ? We have it in chapter 20 of Revelation. How do we know that what is being spoken of here in time is here? When it's spoken of here, how can we be so sure? Because we all want to embrace that Satan is bound, don't we? Because we want to be a part of the triumphal army that stands and does this number. Joining in the promised seed who would crush him under his feet. We all share in Christ. And we want to share in the decisive defeat over Satan. So we're eager. But just please, show us from the Bible. Great. Glad you're eager to see it. I'm eager to teach it. I want to do so in four categories where indeed Christ has victory over death and hell seen in Satan in his ministry in four categories. So it's going to take a little bit this morning together. I'm just going to give you these four categories as we work through each one of them pointing to the big picture of Christ is victorious over Satan. Satan is as a result of the resurrection bound. The church will go forward in triumph. And many more children will be gathered. The first category where we see the decisive defeat of Satan in the victory of Christ is in his kingdom ministry. This is the very first place. So I, I want you to see when Christ comes onto the scene in the first century and begins his preaching ministry, it is his kingdom proclamation that makes clear to us the binding work of Satan is beginning. This is why his earthly ministry is a decisive defeat. It smells out the beginning of the end for the enemy. Do you glory? I just stop right there. Are you already moved to think the incarnation is way more than I ever thought? That he became flesh and dwelt among us. And in so doing, rising to be a man, beginning his earthly ministry, said this kingdom of darkness is coming to an end. This is the beauty of Christmas in the incarnation. As a man then, in his preaching ministry, uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul was asked one time, this is a mental tangent, but I want to share it. He was asked one time if you know who he is, what would you want to be? When did you know you wanted to be a, a pastor? Or how do you gauge your life as a pastor? What do you think about being a pastor? And he said, well, I take it as a, as a wonderful stewardship. God had one son, and he made him a pastor. He made him a preacher. He made him a proclaimer. So he felt pretty good about selecting that or being selected to the ministry. So think of Christ this morning as he is in his kingdom proclamation ministry. As he proclaims, his kingdom has come. Look with me then, we have to go there to see the victory of Christ through the kingdom ministry in Matthew. Go to Matthew's gospel. It might be a little bit of page flipping for each of us uh, this morning, uh, but I wish to let you see these passages that come together for us in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, we'll briefly walk through it and see how it is that the binding work of Satan in Revelation 20 is clearly connected to the kingdom ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, so as to not be looking then for the binding of Satan to come 
in the future, but we're receiving its benefits and blessings in the present, and we see it beginning in the Lord's earthly ministry. Chapter 12, let me begin with you as we look at verse 15. I'll read through verse 15, and then kind of come back and piece it together. Beginning in verse 15, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him. He healed them all. That's significant. In all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, healing work of Christ is very significant for you as a reader. And he ordered them not to make him known. This work of Christ was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles, the nations. Drop down to verse 21. Until he brings justice to victory and in his name, the nations will hope. Okay, so this is the proclamation. Do you see what Jesus is doing already in his kingdom ministry? What is it that he is doing? What is it that he is doing to you this very moment in this event of sharing and being around the word of God? He is proclaiming his gospel, justice to the Gentiles. Hope for those who have no hope is found in Jesus. He is proclaiming this hope. He is going and he is proclaiming it to the nations, to the Gentiles, Hope is coming. How is he bringing about hope? By bringing justice to victory. He's going to take injustice and do away with it by bringing in justice to victory. And all the nations in the world will hope in him. This is his work. This is his preaching. This is his proclamation. Hope in his name. Then watch how the Gospels work. There's a proclamation of content about the kingdom, and then guess what? A display of its power. So he, so in, in other words, he's not words only. Great deeds follow after him. And the one work of bringing justice to victory, establishing hope among a people who have no hope. So he preaches, and then he demonstrates the kingdom is here. Look at the demonstration right here in our passage. The proclamation about the kingdom, the demonstration of its power. Verse 22, of the power of the kingdom. Then, and this is not just another episode with no bearing on what we just read. Here it is, in other words, on display. Then, a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him. And he healed him so that this man spoke. And saw. And all the people were amazed. And they said, can this be the son of David? Can this be the king? Because he's healing. He's proclaiming. And the demons are moving away. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub. The prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. It isn't a new kingdom that's coming. It is the demonic hosts 
who are doing this activity. A new kingdom of hope has not come in this man. Verse 25. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. Do you see the work of Jesus in his ministry? Acknowledging a kingdom is present. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. None of them will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is obviously divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone, let me put it to you this way, about the proclamation of my victory, the nations are prepared to hope in me, for I will take injustice and break it. I will bring justice into victory and establish hope in my kingdom that I'm bringing here. Let me say it to you like this. How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds that strong man? Then indeed, he may plunder his house. Now you just read of the proclamation of the kingdom. You just witnessed as Matthew has led you to its demonstrable concrete power in time. Jesus is bringing justice to victory. And those who have no hope experience trial, tribulation, and deception by demonic power. He is casting them out. How could I do it? Unless I first bind up the strong man. Then indeed, I will plunder his house. So it is that the plundering continues. I cited for you as our verse for refreshment throughout the course of the week of being doers of the word from Luke 10. No, uh, maybe it wasn't the final verse card. But I cited for you nonetheless Luke 10. Where it was the plundering that continued through the missionary institution of the church, the disciples, the 70 who went out in Luke 10, and they were excited and rejoicing over what? That the demons are subject to us in your name. A new kingdom is coming. We're proclaiming it with our mouths and seeing it demonstrated in your name. Jesus said to the 70, I saw Satan fall like lightning. When? In the proclamation and power of the kingdom that is coming. The evidence of the plundering continues through the missionary of the church. 
as you look at the evidence of the kingdom's presence, consider that it is, number one, proclaimed in this portion that Jesus, the chosen servant, has the power of the Spirit on him, and he's proclaiming the power and hope of the kingdom. It is then demonstrated in your mind, put this together in this text, it is then demonstrated that the kingdom has come in the act of casting out demons. It is then explained in this casting out as a plundering of the strong man's house because he is bound. And then he sends out the 12, or the 70, excuse me, that continue the work of the plundering of this strong man's house. This was actually the verse that maybe you've meditated on from last week. And that is 1 John 3, 8. The same, the, the Apostle John in 1 John 3, 8 writes this. The reason the Son of God appeared. The reason. Here, here he broke into human history. Here he stands and we saw him. We touched him, he says in the first chapter. This is the reason he came. Was to destroy the works of the devil. This is why he came. This is the content of his preaching. This is the demonstration of his power. This is his purpose. To bind the strong man and destroy his works. At the proclamation of a new kingdom has dawned. And the gospel of this kingdom will be preached to the ends of the earth. And then the end will come. But how can we preach? And how can we see children hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, receive Him as Savior, and be saved? How can we do this plundering work? Only if I first bind the strong man, then indeed you may plunder his house. This is carried on, this plundering work is carried on in moments just like this in the preaching and proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Together right now, gathering, worshiping, growing, reminded of the gospel, we together are a community of Vikings plundering the hills, gathering up the wares, rejoicing over Christ's defeat in the power of the resurrection and the continued work of the church in proclaiming that decisive defeat. This is the binding of Satan. In Matthew 16, I read a few verses for you. We just don't have time, as you know. I would keep you here all day if it would finally make my case. Yet we only have a few moments together. So I cite for you yet another verse if you'd like to look this up to see how it all kind of comes together from Luke 10 where Satan fell, where Jesus demonstrated power over sin and death and where he bound up the strong man. And John says, this is why he came in 1 John 3, 8. Matthew also in chapter 16, verse 18. Consider the work of the Lord where he talks with Peter And he says, I will build my church. 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Do you see, this is what he's doing, destroying the works of the devil. Oh, they don't want you here. The blind man, the mute man, he can't see, he can't hear. He's tortured of soul. These gates of hell, they will not prevail. I will destroy the works of the devil. In other words, I will build my church. But they fortified the gates. They locked them. They put extra good padlocks on them where you will not get them down. No, they will not prevail. Though they be locked, though Satan be moving about, though he be that roaring lion of Holy Scripture, though he seek to try, test, tempt, and lead the people of God to despair, he will not prevail. I will build my church and kick the gates down. This is the power of Christ. This is when one comes. And here we have opportunity to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They come. And they have darkness of eyes, darkness of heart, hardness of ears. The gates of hell are up and locked and fortified. And Jesus, through the preached word, Paul says, how will they be saved? Lest they hear with their ears. And the gospel is preached. That work of the Lord Jesus Christ be made flesh like us, dwelt among us. And he says, in my life, I always do what is pleasing to my Father. Perfect righteousness. Sinlessness. Let us be clear, he says, no man takes my life. I lay it down of my own accord. And I have authority take it up again in the power of the resurrection this charge this work of the gospel i have received from my father and in this perfect righteousness destroying the works of the devil he laid down his life of his own accord that the gates of hell would not prevail against its proclamation but they would fall and he would build a church This is what he did, destroyed the works of the devil, rose again, sent forth his spirit, equipping the church to proclaim freedom to the captives in his name. No, but they won't be able to hear that message. They come, they can't hear. Yes, they will. For the gates of hell cannot prevail. Preach victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the binding work of Satan in the kingdom ministry of Christ. I want to move quite naturally to where the second category of four this morning, where we can take Revelation 20's binding and the victory of Christ and unite it to the work of Christ in time from his kingdom proclamation, which we just saw, the contents and its display. And now look quite naturally at the second category, which is his cross. 
Look at his cross. If you would, from Matthew, Mark, join with me in John, going forward to John 12. If you just move from Matthew through uh, Mark and Luke and John, I lost myself in my own Gospels there. Sorry about that. It wasn't much of a help in getting you there. John chapter 12. And looking the great victory of Christ over Satan through his kingdom ministry and also through his cross where he laid down his life for the captives. I'm going to begin reading with you in verse 27 so that you can see the binding work of Satan certainly united to the one work of Christ in the cross. Verse 27, here is Jesus, now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now, do you see that double underline, triple circle, exclamation points? Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. When is the now? What do you mean now? Here is the now. When I am lifted up from the earth, the ruler of this world will be cast out. It is united. The victory of Christ is united to the cross of Christ. And the casting out of Satan and into the pit is specifically united to the glory of the cross. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. That is, from all walks of life, all people groups, all nations, all tongues. I will do this because he cannot deceive them any longer. For he has been cast out by the power of the cross. How do we know this This exaltation of Jesus speaks of the event of the cross. Verse 33, John fills in in case we have lost the exaltation. Through the cross, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you. For a little while longer, walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtakes you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While we have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. Here, the casting out, I'm trying to draw in your mind. Through the ministry of Jesus in his own preaching, proclamation, and demonstration 
of his kingdom. That by virtue of that kingdom being established, Satan is correspondingly being bound up. This is how Christ is uniting the binding to his own work in ministry. John says, this is the reason why he came. To set us free. To move the deceit that we might see clearly the light. And as we see it, we have hope. Important to note, maybe just for you, this is one of my, uh, maybe, sprinkles on top for my position. The language there of now is the ruler of this world cast out is the same term used in Revelation 20. And Satan being put out into the pit. Scar. At any rate, in humility I admit my problems. But it is critical that we see that what is represented is the definitive defeat. Whether you believe, can, can we unite right now on this? Whether you believe these tremendous truths of the work of Christ on the cross and the gathering of the nations took place specifically right then and, and only in that way and doesn't have a tremendous bearing or the exact same picture in Revelation 20, can we both as saints rejoice that these are true? That Christ defeated the ruler of this world when he was lifted up and drew all men unto himself. That is, all men of all kinds of people. Every nation is unlocked to his grace. Every language group is unlocked to his testimonies. Every kind of people will be gathered in Revelation 5 around the throne where he has ransomed them by his blood from every language, people, tribe, and nation. So it is what Jesus said he would do is what he is doing in the binding of Satan and the proclamation of the church. The gospel is not just for America. Praise the Lord. So it is that we look from the cross. Let me read for you one more text of Colossians chapter 2 in case you wanted to note maybe another similar picture. And it is that of where the binding of Satan is linked to the cross work of Christ. And it is Colossians chapter 2 in Paul's ministry. We don't need to turn there. I'll simply read for you chapter 2 verse 14. And that is, he says, Christ in the cross disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame. The rulers and the authorities, those of cosmic powers, he disarmed them definitively. He put them up on display in open shame. How? How did God do this? How did he disarm? How did he mock them, strip them of their authority? How? By triumphing over them in Christ. So that his house may be plundered 
and victory is the Gospels. Third category for us this morning. We saw it in the proclamation of his kingdom. We saw it in the event of the cross where the binding work of Satan is taking place in the Lord, in his preaching, in his proclamation, in his demonstration of power, in his humility under the cross, and thirdly, in his resurrection. I want to turn one more as we walk through the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ. One more passage here is Acts. The book of Acts, that is, as you move forward to the book of Acts, looking in chapter 26. Again, I apologize a bit of um, page flipping, but if I just took these passages and put them into my pages here for notes for myself, my pages would go on far, far too long, and you would, as a result, be here way, way, way too long. So I keep them in the scripture, but I apologize, it's a bit of page flipping for you. Uh, In his resurrection is the definitive victory of Christ, where through his ministry, then his humility, then in his exaltation of resurrection, look with me in chapter 26, beginning with verse 23. Here's Paul preaching. Well, I'll begin in verse 22. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. So I stand here testifying, both the small and the great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. Do you love your Old Testament? I hope so. That's glorious. Moses said all this was going to go down. We just need to read them carefully. So it is our Old Testament is deeply purposeful for us. Verse 23, as Paul preaches from the Old Testament about the Christ, he says, verse 23, that the Christ, this is what the prophets and Moses told us, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light. Do you remember that all the way back in the prophet Isaiah that we read in Matthew? He would proclaim light. After having been raised, he would proclaim light both to our people, the Jews, and, just as Matthew through Isaiah said, to the nations, to the Gentiles. Light would be proclaimed. So look earlier in this same passage, then beginning in verse 17. This is Paul's ministry. After the resurrection, he has freedom now to proclaim, verse 17, delivering you from your people and from the nations to whom I am sending you. This is Jesus commissioned to Paul. Open their eyes. Do you see the language of deception? In the proclamation ministry of Paul, because Christ has been raised, he has been told, I am sending you to open their eyes so that they might turn from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan unto God. That in seeing clearly, they may receive forgiveness of sins. And a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. As I mentioned earlier. Here we see the Apostle Paul clearly saying, 
after Christ has been raised, he would proclaim light to the nations, bringing justice to victory. And everyone who has eyes like this is to have them opened. Deceive no more. Moving from one domain unto God. This is the same thing Paul says to the church at Colossae in the first chapter. That we have been transferred from the domain of Satan, a kingdom, a house, a city. But he has been plundered. He has been bound. So we have moved from his domain and transferred into the kingdom of God's dear son. The kingdom of Christ and the binding of Satan are working through the one work of the cross. This, Jesus says in our fourth category, so I am sending you to proclaim this. So the fourth category where we see it from his kingdom ministry of his own proclamation to his cross where he has testified and is being lifted up that he would draw all men of various distinctions, all kinds of men unto himself in this plundering work. And then also in the proclamation of his resurrection, Satan has been defeated. Oh, death, where is thy sting? He has been bound. So proclaim, open the eyes, pull people from deceit. For he who has bound them, he is himself bound. Finally then, the ongoing work of this proclamation is given to the church. This is the fourth category, the Great Commission. The Great Commission is this wonderful exaltation that he has been raised. Therefore, guess how much authority he has? You rejoice. All authority is given. Where at? What sphere do you exercise your lordship? In heaven and on earth. For the strong man has been bound. So I commission you, go plunder his house. This is the work of Matthew 28. This is our last text. If you would turn there with me and I will conclude with a final comment here. But Matthew... 28 is the final portion where I want you to see the authority of Christ is clearly linked in the resurrection to the binding of Satan, which is symbolically expressed in Revelation 20, yet concretely took place in the work and ministry of the Lord. I'll read a very familiar passage for you, for many of you anyway, beginning in verse 16, and we'll come back maybe just for a brief few seconds and put some fresh eyes on this text, and so be strengthened. Verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of how many people? All nations, everywhere, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
Did you see how that's the almost direct reference to where we began in Matthew's gospel with Isaiah's prophecy? The father was well pleased and he sent his spirit upon the son. So the son has been raised, therefore baptized in our one name, father, son, and spirit in the authority that is mine. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus in his proclamation ministry, according to Isaiah, was to proclaim and bring justice to victory. I'm hopefully persuading you. I mean, I am laying it on as thick as I can in these last few moments. That indeed, he bound the strong man in the incarnation where he became like the children. It was a decisive moment in the defeat of the domain of this world. And then his power as the son of God proclaimed freedom to the captives, bringing justice to victory, healing and casting out sin and demonic force. And when they said... You're not binding him according to the son of God, the son of David, the king of the Lord. You're not him. You're Beelzebub. He said, that great word that ought to comfort your soul. I do it by the spirit. Satan is being bound. And then I will lay down my life. only to take it up again. That hope might be preached in my name. Not to just a few people groups, but to all people groups everywhere. For all authority everywhere is mine. Open their eyes from deception. By speaking the light of the gospel. For the gates of hell will not prevail against the proclamation of the gospel. Through the ongoing work of the church. So it is that we proclaim the victory of Christ. Let us be a congregation. Let us be individuals. Proclaiming the power of the gospel in the great defeat of Satan. That many might be moved from darkness and transferred unto the light in the kingdom of the sun. Not shrinking back in fear, but boldly going forward. For the gates cannot prevail against it. It's the power of Christ and the binding of Satan. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the eternal covenant of redemption. I thank you that you sent the son. That as Jesus would speak about his own work in binding the strong man and plundering his house and gathering the children. He said, this charge I received from my father. Father, creator of all that is, we exalt in you. That you would, of your own love, send forth your son. Give him a charge to gather the children. That that charge would involve him dying. 
being lifted up on a cross for all to see and continue to preach. And in his resurrection, son, we rejoice in your work in sending forth the spirit when you were glorified. That now, through the power of the word, the spirit is at work gathering the children, plundering the house of the strong man. We proclaim the victory of Christ in the gospel. I pray for one who would be here and not know Christ as their Savior. I pray that in this feeble speech, in these few brief words, there would be a power of the Spirit that would be at work to open their eyes, to move them from the domain of Satan unto God, and so receive forgiveness of every single one of their sins. I pray for the church. They too would be strengthened afresh in the authority of Christ on the earth through the gospel. And we would be charged to be faithful by the power of that spirit given us to preach his name, baptize in his name, and to teach all that you have commanded us. For the great comfort is you are with us until the end of the age where we will see you boldly, physically, and be with you forever. In Christ's name we exalt you. Amen.